Hello, and welcome to the Financial Classroom with Will and Tim, where two friends believe that the American dream is built by living within your means. Listen as we discuss how to build wealth, live frugally, and attack life with a financial plan. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening to another segment of the Financial Classroom podcast. Today, we will be interviewing another six-figure millennial. And as always, I'm your host, Will. And with me on the other side of the mic is my co-host and good friend, Tim. Hi, everyone. It's great to be back. Uh, This segment is an opportunity for us to celebrate people who have achieved a six-figure net worth early on in life. So without any further ado, let's meet today's guest. Yeah, so today we will be talking to Laura from Vancouver, Canada. And Laura hit $100,000 at the age of 25 years old. Yeah, Laura, would you just like to say hi and kind of introduce yourself? Yes, uh, really excited to be talking to you both today. Uh, I get a lot of inspiration hearing from other people's stories and reading about how other people got to where they are. So I'm happy to hopefully be of inspiration to others today. Yeah, Laura, thank you so much for joining us. Tim and I really enjoy talking to Six Figure Millennials and seeing their success story. And obviously, I think today you're going to bring a lot to the table and it would be awesome to hear your story too. So speaking of that, you want to start by telling your story and uh, where you grew up, kind of how you were raised, what your parents were like, and financially what you were like, and then up to, I guess, where you are now today. So I grew up um, in a single parent household, so myself and my mom. And I think sometimes when you think of single parent household, maybe you think lower income, but I can say that that wasn't a factor of my childhood. My mom worked really, really hard and she made sure that I had a really great upbringing in childhood. I was able to do the activities that I wanted to do. But I think what I got out of my upbringing is that my mom worked really hard and because it was just her and I, because she was working so much, I didn't see her maybe as much as other kids spent um, time with their parents. So my family, really my extended family helped raise me, my grandmother, uncles and aunts. I spent a lot of time with my cousins, big Chinese family. So I think I got a, a lot of good habits instilled from me from um, Asian grandma. So I grew up learning the habits of frugality and not spending on frivolous things, you know, reusing plastic bags, mm-hmm. things like that. So I don't think I was ever much of a, a spender, even when I started working, um, which is another factor. I started working really young. I think as young as I could, because I was 16. I worked in the summers um, and then worked part-time when I was in high school and then all throughout university. But as as long as I was working, uh, I was always putting aside, not consciously, but I never had a lot of big things to spend on. So I think I just inevitably ended up saving up slowly, but surely. And I think that's a a big factor of how I got to where I was at 25, hitting 100K. And then now today, I guess, doubling that in the last three years, if not more. So you mentioned that you were never really a spender. Just out of curiosity, when you graduated high school, did you have some money saved up already for post-secondary then or...? I did not, actually. Okay. The way I got through university, so I studied a business degree, a four-year business degree, and I worked really hard. I studied a lot, and I was lucky to earn scholarships, which helped put me, yeah, through through my degree. So I graduated without any student debt, which I know is a really big achievement for for Mm -hmm. anyone, and I think also a big factor of saving up to where I am today is not having had that student debt. But I I would like to think that I earned it, you know, with the the scholarship. And I was also lucky in that I had support from family as well. 
So again, it's a privilege, but having supportive, I guess, uncles and aunts. Um, I had one uncle who gave a little financial incentive to my cousins and I to say if we chose to pursue post-secondary schooling and if we did well, then he could provide a little bit of financial support. So I like to think of that as another type of scholarship, but I know not everyone has access to things like that. Um, But yeah, that definitely helped. I love hearing people when they are able to graduate from school debt-free because it just means that as soon as you graduate, every single dollar that you earn is just going straight towards your net worth. You aren't fighting this this uphill battle with, with student loans when you get out, which is something that I mean, I did personally, but yeah. So you mentioned that 25 years old is when you hit 100K net worth. So what is your current net worth now and how is it allocated? Yeah, my net worth today is 270,000 and it's about 70% invested. So in retirement accounts, my RRSP, my TFSA, and then non-registered and then 30% is in real estate. Oh, wow. Congrats. $270,000. And for listeners out there, she said she hit $100,000 at 25 years old. And now she's at 270 at 28 years old. And so Laura, what is the secret to almost tripling your money in three years? <laughs> I really didn't think about it until you brought up the math. Because <laughs> You know, I've been listening to some of the other interviews on your podcast and they were at in the 300,000s and the 400,000s. And I was thinking today, like, I'm not near that. Like, I'm not that impressive. But yeah, I guess when you look at it in the last few years, that's pretty good. You are very impressive. You're not even 30 yet and you have (laughs) $200,000. Listen to yourself, Laura. That is impressive. That is very impressive. Mm -hmm. So, okay, let's think about the math. I started my first full-time big girl job when I was 21, I think. So the fact is I've been earning a full-time salary since I was 21 and then putting that money away mostly into my investment accounts. I think one of the secrets is working so hard that you have no life and no time (laughs) to spend money outside of work. I say that half jokingly because obviously that's not healthy, but it's just a fact, like my first job, I worked such long hours and yeah, my social life is almost non-existent. So a lot of my money was being saved. I also li- was fortunate to live at home uh, with my mom until I was 26. So man, when you're saving on rent, that's a huge expense. Uh, that instead Especially you in Vancouver area. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> I did not buy a car. I chose to use public transport all the time, which you can in Vancouver. I know mm-hmm. in other cities, maybe not. But yeah, I chose not to have a car. And um, in the past few years, I've been fortunate to also increase my salary, which also obviously helps. But it's less about, I think, the salary because I'm not over, I guess I can just say my salary right now, I think is about 85K per year. And I also make a little bit more because I freelance on the side. So that helps supplement uh, my income a little bit more. But it's more about your savings rate. Really, like I don't have to be making the most money in the world uh, or being a doctor or a lawyer or something like that, especially in the last year with coronavirus. One of my biggest expenses was traveling. And now that we can't travel, I am saving so much more. So when you decide Mm -hmm. to make trade-offs like that, yes, you're trading off things that you enjoy, but we or myself and my partner know that we're putting that money towards something that can be really enjoyed later on. And it feels really good to be saving so much. Just going to jump in here quick. And you had mentioned that you use public transit, that you don't have your own personal vehicle there. From talking with Will, who grew up in in BC, my understanding is 
car insurance is pretty expensive out there. Is that right? Like, do you have an idea roughly what car insurance would be out there? Gosh, I forget how much it is, but it's, it's ridiculous. It's like thousands of dollars per year. I think okay. I obviously never had a car, but yeah, it is something ridiculous. For listeners out there, if you live in Alberta, Saskatchewan, or Manitoba area, BC is usually three times the amount insurance than, than Alberta, Saskatchewan, or Manitoba. I don't know about Ontario. I've never been there. But so if, if insurance is $1,000, usually BC is $3,000. So that's my understanding with my parents living there and talking with them. So it is crazy. So I think not having the car insurance, not having maintenance costs, not having gas money, that really... 100% helped you. And I think that sacrifice, some people, young people might feel like, oh, you don't have a car, like you don't have any assets, or even though a car is a depreciating asset, but a lot of young people don't look at it like that. And I think what you did was extremely smart. So good for you. And it, totally see the, see the reward now where you are now in life. So to go back to, you mentioned that you have a partner. And have you guys always been on board with saving together? Do you guys talk to one another about finances? Because I know sometimes a lot of couples don't talk about their finances. What, what is that like with you? I think I was very lucky in that my partner was already not maybe as conscious of saving up as I was, or eh, that's not really the way to say it. In any case, I know that sometimes people describe their a couple as being having a spender and a saver, but we are both definitely savers. And huh. it was no argument, very easy to convince them that, hey, you know, if we budget and if we keep track of our expenses, then we'll be very conscious of where things are going. And hey, we'll also be able to, to save a lot. This past year, I guess past six months, I really started reading into financial independence and mm-hmm. retiring early. And he got right into it after I sort of started telling him all these things that I was learning and he was super on board and I'm it's just really exciting to be working towards something with someone else for sure so you mentioned that you graduated with a business degree so just wondering what is your current job and what was kind of your salary range from the time that you left school to now Yes, I graduated um, with a marketing degree. And uh, right now I work in digital marketing strategy. So I'm a, I'm a marketer. I work in marketing and I work for a tech company. So nothing really crazy. But when I started, first full-time job was 40K, the annual salary. And then the job after that I got was 50K. And then a year or two after that, I moved up to about 75K per year. So if there's one tip I can give, it's switching jobs tends to also help bump your salary, which I know kind of gives a bad look to us millennials. But to be honest, like it's, it's a very viable way of increasing your, your salary helped me. And now I'm at about 85K per year. So started about five years ago at 40K and then now I'm at 85K. So you've doubled your salary in five years, which isn't bad. Pretty decent. Yeah, and, and I mean, you talked about, you know, switching jobs every you know year or two or however often until you, once you felt like you had an opportunity to grow an opportunity to advance, you kind of, you took that opportunity. And I love that kind of perspective that you're always looking at how can I one, increase how much I know, how much I've learned, and two, increase how much income I'm bringing into the household. Yeah, it wasn't always about salary. In fact, it probably was never about salary when I was making okay. these changes. It was more about I'm a very ambitious person when it comes to my career growth, and I wanted to take on the right opportunities. And it made sense in many different ways, career growth opportunity and salary. 
Yeah, for sure. So Laura, if we had to go from the beginning, from the time when you actually started making money to now, what are some of the mistakes or any big mistakes that you've made financially? Seeing that you're such a saver and a natural saver and come from a single family and you said you reuse plastic bags or are there any financial mistakes? Maybe not mistakes in the traditional sense of the word, but I do think one of the things that I could have done differently if I could go back is I probably would have pursued a different kind of career. So I don't think it's any secret that working working in marketing is definitely not the most lucrative Hmm. way out of business school or anything. But speaking personally, when I was a kid, I was really into uh, spending time on the internet and I learned all these different random skills. Like I knew how to code and make websites and design graphics. So Hmm. one path I always kind of had at the back of my mind was becoming a developer or programmer. Hmm. I could have studied computer science at university and then yeah, become a programmer after I graduated. And I think we all kind of know that a very good industry, there's a lot of jobs and it pays well. So I do think about opportunity cost uh, sometimes, especially when I read the the fire blogs and the books of people, Canadians like Christy and, and Bryce. When I try to compare my situation to them, I always look at their numbers and I think they were earning so much more when they were you know, in their in their 20s, I'm like, why can't I reach financial independence at 31? Well, it's because I'm not making nearly as much as they are. But, you know, if I had wanted to pursue something similar, um, yeah, I could have gone down a, a career path that I, I knew would earn more outside of school. Yeah, other than that, definitely little little things. It's not just big financial mistakes, it's little things. I used to be obsessed with Starbucks and would go buy <laughs> Not even coffee. I don't drink coffee, but I would buy, I don't know, frappuccinos and tea lattes and things like that. So, you know, you can make those things at home. It's really easy and it's so much cheaper. I didn't know that back then, but I do know that now. Yeah. So Laura, I just want to repeat what you said there, but change it a little bit. You said, yes, the income part plays a big role, but there's people out there who make $200,000 a year or $150,000 a year and you in a sense, have you have more money than them. I think salary is a big part, but your living lifestyle has brought you to this point where you have more money than people who potentially double your income has. And I think that speaks to how you spend your money and that speaks to how you save your money. I think if you do want to reach FI or financial independence, at the way you're going, it's totally possible, even with the salary that you have. And I think salary is something that people can always increase if they pick up a side hustle or learn a new skill. So like five years ago, you were making 40,000. Five years later, you're now making 85. And who knows five years later from now, what you'll be making down the road. But what we do know is that at the age of 28, you already have almost $300,000. So reaching FI is a reality for you, even though you don't think that you maybe have the greatest salary or make the six-figure salary, but you are a six-figure millennial and that's <laughs> something to be proud of. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, you, you definitely put in, into perspective. Um, but yeah, thank you for the kind words. So you mentioned a few minutes ago about how you used to drink a lot of Starbucks, Frappuccinos, that kind of thing. And then you started making that kind of thing from home, save a few bucks, I guess, really every, I don't know if it'd be every day, every week, every month. But do you have any other kind of tips in terms of how can I be frugal? What are some ways I can save a few bucks here and there every day, or maybe more than a few bucks? I think that biggest thing that helped me to save and become really conscious of, of how I'm spending is just budgeting. 
quite simply budgeting. Well, maybe it's not just budgeting. It's also tracking all of all of your expenses. So I uh, used to use Mint. It did a really good job of just automatically importing all of my expenses and then um, categorizing them. I got a lot of intrinsic satisfaction out of tracking all of my expenses and seeing visually where all my money was going. Yeah. And now my, my boyfriend and I do it. And he's also... I don't know if you like naturally inclined to being satisfied by it, but just together we love seeing like where our money is going and how we're tracking and like, did we hit our grocery budget this, this month? Sounds really nerdy when I say it out loud, but Hey, it works. You know, I think I, I was actually thinking that you guys are quote unquote financial nerds and I, th I love it. Yeah. And I think that's so cool to, to be able to track that. And, and so do you guys, like, if you guys go over budget, are you like next month, you're trying to keep it way under or, or how does that work? I don't think so. In, in theory, I guess that's how it would work. But maybe when we go over budget, it's either you've under budgeted or, you know, it's just an exceptional month for whatever reason. And I think we don't want to be too hard on ourselves. I think some people feel a bit scared when they hear budgets and it feels like you're going to be restricting yourself from enjoying things. Mm -hmm. and, and we don't want to do that. So Yes, sometimes we get a motivated try and spend less the following month. We did a how nerdy we did a challenge in July where we said, "Oh, we're going to spend less money on groceries, and we're not going to buy any <laughs> uh, pre-made desserts from the grocery store, and we're not going to spend anything on clothes shopping." And yet, it was fun for that month. And and the principles that we we, we proved to ourselves that we could stop kind of some parts of our spending, and now we're continuing that after that month that we tried it out but things like groceries and eating out like we love food we love cooking yes we are a little bit like oh darn we went over our grocery budget this month but we want to still enjoy life so it mm -hmm. keeps us on track but we don't consider it a hard limit piggybacking on enjoying life some people think that oh because you're budgeting because you're saving because you're not spending all your salary that means you can't have fun so what do you say to people like that up to this point in your life? Have you had a lot of fun? Have you been able to travel? Have you, or like, I think people look at it like you have, have all this money saved up, but you've been just living in under a rock the whole time and you can't have any fun. And I want to just like say that's a myth. And if you have had any enjoyment in life throughout all this saving process. No, done absolutely nothing fun in my life. <laughs> Um, no, I love to travel. My boyfriend and I love to travel. And that's probably been one of our biggest or it is our biggest expense other than this year. But we save up to travel or we would always be conscious that that would be uh, a recurring expense. So I think subconsciously, we would remind ourselves every time we want to buy a piece of clothing or yeah, something a bit more frivolous that, you know, I, I think we've definitely said to each other, that's a trip. That's a plane ticket. So that's helped us reduce things like clothing shopping. I mean, I haven't bought a new piece of clothing, I think, for most of this year, if all this, if at all this year. It also helps that we're working from home and how I don't need to dress up to go to an office. But hey, if I don't need to buy a new piece of clothing this year, like, why would I need to do that next year? And I know that's quite an extreme example. But I think anyone can take that kind of thinking into their life and say, do I really need, I don't know, uh, a stand-up paddleboard or <laughs> purchases that it, it's a fine balance between what makes you happy and your passions and then things that are a bit more I don't know that you don't maybe don't necessarily need so do you and your partner have a process that you guys have before making big purchases together or do you sit on those purchases for x amount of time what does yeah. that kind of process look for you if it's a joint 
purchase. We'll definitely talk about it. And I think we're really good at thinking about times that we'll use it. And I really can't think of a time where we bought something that felt really unnecessary. I mean, you know, furniture, those are necessary expenses. If he wants to buy something that supports his hobbies, I think we use each other as a sounding board, not me being like, oh, that's going to take a hit on our budgeting or saving. It's more like, if you're spending that much money, will you feel happy with it at the end of the day? Will it help you towards your financial goals? We're, I think we're quite supportive and really good at helping the other make a decision because it's hard to kind of make really big financial decisions by yourself, but I find it can really help to have someone just to bounce and kind of be a gut check for you. So I think communication is probably the one way to sum that up. Yeah. And you, you talked about how you like to travel quite a bit. Just for our listeners out there who are also travelers who also love to travel, do you have any tips on vacationing for somebody who is living on a budget who is being frugal? Yes. Two tips. First tip is that we cook at home. every time we're in our home city and we're always cooking at home. We rarely eat out because we like to save up our eating out budget for when we're traveling mm-hmm. uh, because I think that's really um, enjoyable and, and rich part of traveling is yeah, eating out and trying the food while you're traveling. And then another way that we have been able to travel so much is that I think all of the trips we've been on have been deals, travel deals. So if you're in Vancouver, there's a, a page called YVR Deals, and I'm sure there are equivalents all across Canada. I think Next Departure is also one that has a lot of de- travel deals from all the different hubs around the country. So I love we love telling this story, but we once went on a trip to Sydney and Japan, and it was in business class. And round trip, it was like $860 each, but in business class wow. for Wow. Flights or something for two weeks. And it was a mistake there, but, and it was a one off, really one off deal, but we got so lucky and it was an unreal experience. But, you know, like we, we, we take the time to follow these accounts and we turn on the post notifications. So we get the notifications and us, frugal people, we pay for a, a notification service for travel deals. So I get like premium travel deals that come to my email. But I know it helps save me money because travel is something that I'm always going to be spending on anyway so mm-hmm. may as well try and look for the deals out there for listeners out there too i just want to go back to what laura talked about earlier not buying clothing every year but like not the extreme example but i think laura correct me if i'm wrong but for you guys instead of being materialistic and buying things that you feel like you don't need all the time like you can wear these two hoodies instead of buying a new one every single year, but instead you're buying experiences with each other. And at the same time, you're still able to save money with one another. And so I think that's why you talked about the FI, the financial independence, retire early. And so you're able to buy time and spend with each other and be able to travel together. If I'm, if I'm correct on that, Laura. Yeah. Yeah. And here's the thing, like we, I think I keep coming back to the budgeting because that's probably the single greatest tool that's enabling us to save and work towards financial independence. But we have a number that we we have in our head that we want to save every month. Mm -hmm. And then all the other expenses, whatever category they fall into, uh, it doesn't really matter as long as we hit our savings goal. Mm -hmm. All the other money we spend can really go to anything. It's going to usually go to the same things. But my boyfriend, he recently bought uh, a racing bike and myself, I'm really into photography and these are not cheap hobbies, but we're not going to deny ourselves the enjoyment of these things now uh, just because we want to um, retire early, maybe. 
Um, we haven't really decided on that, but it's, it's really important to enjoy life now. We're only young ones and yeah. uh, it's sort of a balance between, yeah, enjoying things now, sacrificing a few other things, but knowing that we are setting ourselves up for financial success in the future. Yeah. Well said. Very well said. So it sounds like you've learned how to prioritize your budget. So you've kind of said our savings target, this is a non-negotiable. This is our number one. Number two is probably travel. We want to do travel. We want to always be setting aside money for travel. And then also, you know, photography, racing, bike, these are also important, but all these things are being built around this, this savings goal and not, you know, creeping in on that or not taking away from that. Yeah. Yeah. And I get so much satisfaction out of hitting that goal. Mm. Uh, I think as humans, we're very motivated by goals, whether it's career or yeah, the savings. But for me, it's just the greatest feeling to say, okay, I can realistically hit this goal. Yeah. Um, and if I, if I miss it one month, I, because it's a monthly goal, I know I can make up for it in mm-hmm. a future month, but I don't know. I just get so much, so much satisfaction out of, out of hitting it. You know, Laura, I am exactly the same way. I, my wife and I, I'm the nerd in the relationship. I'm not even going to admit it, financial nerd. And I, we do have a number that we try to hit every single month. And when we do hit it, it, it is a satisfaction to see that number get there. And so you're not the only one. And I'm sure most of the six-figure millennial that we've talked to are the, are the same way too. So yeah. And so talk about debt. Do you have any debt? Does your boyfriend have any debt? Uh, no, not right now, but we will because uh, the, the real estate that I talked about earlier um, was a, a down payment on a pre-construction home condo. So uh, we know we're uh, coming up to a mortgage sometime okay. soon, which is quite quite scary. But, <laughs> but, yeah, but we're talking yet. about a mortgage, but not like consumer debt, right? Not credit card. Not cons- no car payment. No. No, nothing like that. Our parents would never let us have credit card debt. I think it was drilled into us from such a young age that, oh man, what was this? They basically made it sound like we would die if we ever had credit card debt. I don't know if, you're, if it's like an Asian parent thing or what, but yeah. My parents were the exact same way. So, <laughs> um, so Laura, what are your, I guess you talked about FIRE movement and FI and what are your goals, uh, your long-term goals or your 10-year goals down the road? Yeah, t- yeah, 10, 20. I mean, I would love to be financially independent in my 30s, but I think that's really ambitious and I'm not too sure. I think there's going to be a lot of things between here and the end of my 30s that will come up that I'm really not sure how it'll affect my expenses and savings rate and things like that. But if not financially independent, then at least uh, maybe partially there. So we have a number in mind that we want to hit uh, for financial independence, but even more than that, it'll be the feeling of we can, we don't have to work just to earn enough to cover our expenses. We're, we're working because we want to do that job and it's not because of the salary. Like we can basically work any job we want. Mm-hmm. So for example, I really want to teach perhaps at universities. I really want to mm-hmm. take whatever I've learned in my career and give that back and teach to, to students. So I would, I would really love to be doing that 10 years from now. That's awesome. So speaking of university and of teaching, we've got listeners out there who are university students who maybe even have just graduated high school. If you were to give them one or two pieces of advice, financial advice, what would you tell them? I think I've harped on budgeting uh, a lot, but honestly, that that made a really big difference early in my life. So I would say definitely try and budget and track your expenses. It'll really help open your eyes to where all your money is going. I think 
my boyfriend and I often say to ourselves, we just don't really understand when we hear about people our age or when we were younger spending so much money and not feeling like they were able to save. We just couldn't really fathom how they were spending all their money. But I think it, it adds up when you, you know, go out a lot and you, you buy the Starbucks and you buy the clothes to keep up and feel like you want to be on trend. But if you can really, this is going to sound so fluffy, I hate this, but if you can work on mm-hmm. being um, happy and comfortable with yourself and not feeling like you need to compare yourself to others, mm-hmm. I think that has financial benefits. It's not just psychological, it's not just mental, but if you don't feel like you have to buy a new car or buy these things that make you cool, that literally will help you save so much money. Yeah, yeah, it's it's so important just to focus on you, not focus on what your neighbor is doing or what your best friend is doing. It can be, you can either get into bad habits or get discouraged when looking at them, but do what you, you can control, you do you, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that goes to with the financial numbers too, right? Like Laura, like you were talking about earlier in the in, in this episode that don't compare yourself financially to other people because there's always gonna be people who have done better or who are wealthier mm-hmm. or like if we're comparing anyone, then start comparing us to Jeff Bezos, then the CEO of Amazon, right? So because I think focus on yourself for people out there. If, if you're graduating university and you have student loan debt, focus on yourself getting out of debt. And I think these success stories that I, like the one that Laura just shared is like that. So if mm-hmm. you hear her, she started investing and finally hit $100,000 at 25. And then within three years, she almost tripled her net worth. And so speaking on like the investment, what would you tell people who are hesitant on investment or whether or not they should invest their money? What, what would you say to them? Well, first of all, do what's comfortable for you. Don't do anything you don't understand. Definitely don't take tips from people that seem like they know everything. Like you really need to put in the time to make sure what you're doing. I've read a couple of books this past summer about passive investing and yeah, I guess, yeah, a lot of index investing and stuff like that. And I don't think it's really scary. I think the scary part is getting the knowledge um, and feeling that you're equipped with enough knowledge, but putting money in the market and then just not touching it is honestly like the least scary thing for me because I just leave it there and I don't feel like I need to worry about taking it out. I know it's in there for mm-hmm. the long term and all I have to do is wait for it to grow. Uh, and that's, yeah, not scary at all to me. I think what's scarier is hearing my friends who are trying to pick stocks and learn all these complicated parts of the stock market. And that scares me, but definitely not simple passive investing. And we're so lucky that there are so many free resources out there. Things like podcasts are definitely what helps get me into the journey, into the mindset of personal finance and financial uh, independence. So yeah, again, back to the, the question of what would I tell students? read a book or listen to a podcast, whatever suits your learning style. But there are so many resources out there that are really, really helpful and break it down really easily. Awesome. That's really good points. Laura, it was awesome hearing your story. We love talking to six figure millennials and everyone that we talk to shares a different story financially, but they all intertwine in a lot of ways where we have a lot of people who you're not the first one who grew up in a single family, but then they learn from working hard, like their mom or dad, single parent working hard in life. And that's passed down to them. And they learn how to budget early on. They learn not to spend more than they make. And the success stories are all so similar. And 
for people out there, it's possible. And Laura shows that it's possible coming from, again, a single mom who worked hard, didn't see Laura a ton, but taught Laura a lot of the hardworking traits that she clearly has to this point. And it was amazing talking to you, Laura, and we loved hearing your story. So I just wanted to say that it doesn't matter what job you have or how much you're making. It's not about that. Um, If you are really set upon growing your financial uh, net worth and reaching your financial goals, all it takes is a little self-discipline, a little self-awareness, and it's definitely possible for anybody. Yeah. Yeah, no, just it's, it's been such a pleasure having you on with us today. Such a pleasure interviewing you and hearing your story. And it's so encouraging. And like Will said, there's so many of your traits. We can see similarities between other six-figure millennials, you know, learning how to live frugally, learning how to budget, just not getting into the whole consumer debt mindset and sphere there. So yeah, I just want our listeners to know these are just habits that you need to learn, you need to pick up on as we hear from Laura and from the other people that we interview. It's not necessarily a fixed formula, but there's a lot of common habits and Mm -hmm. there's a lot to learn from people like Laura and like our other guests. Yeah. And it's just such valuable information. Yeah. So Laura, on behalf of the financial classroom, Tim and I are really grateful for all the six figure millennial and including you, Laura, for coming on and sharing your story. And for listeners out there who are six figure millennials or who do want to share their stories, uh, feel free to email us at financialclassroom at gmail.com or check us out on Facebook at the financial classroom or on Instagram at financial classroom. And yeah, we're, we're looking forward to doing more interviews. We have more Six Record Millennials interviews coming up. And yeah, thank you for listening again. Until next time, talk to you guys later. Thank you for listening to this episode. For more episodes and financial tips, check out our Facebook page, The Financial Classroom. And if you like this podcast, Feel free to subscribe and leave us a review on our various podcast platforms. Later.